You are listening to the Beyond Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. I am your host, Sandy Raper. On this podcast, I will share stories and invite conversations that will help you grow and support sustainability within your yoga practice, your pathway of service as a yoga teacher, and beyond. Hey, are you a yoga teacher that sometimes feels unclear about the direction you should take in your teaching path, or possibly you feel uncertain and lack confidence in areas of your teaching skill set? Well, this is where a mentor is so crucial to come alongside of you to help sift through and reinforce the skills it takes to create longevity and to sustain a healthy teaching career. I have 20 years of teaching experience, and I am passionate about supporting you and other teachers to grow and expand into the teacher you desire to be. I can totally support you within a variety of areas, including how to run a successful yoga studio, how to operate as a solo entrepreneur, develop effective workshops and successful teacher trainings, and even the development of your very own podcast to support your teaching career and more. Private mentoring sessions are the fastest and best way for you to get the results you are seeking. Ready to dive in and work with me one-on-one? Well, I'm ready. So head over to my website, sandyraper.com, or click the link in the show notes and schedule your call today. Now, let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Lisa Ash Drackert. Lisa is a returning guest, and she joined me back in Season 1, Episode 17, when we discuss the language of yoga. Lisa is a yoga medicine therapeutic specialist and a yoga studio owner based in Kansas City, Missouri. Lisa specializes in tailoring yoga and meditation protocols to help her personal clients meet their exact health and wellness goals. Her specialties are yoga for mental health, yoga for spinal health, prenatal yoga, yoga for women's health, and myofascial release. Lisa's education includes university degrees in education, psychology and religious studies, as well as a master's degree in education and curriculum development. You can find Lisa at lisaashyoga.com. And today, Lisa and I are going to discuss the important relationship between yoga teachers and yoga studio owners. Listen now to my conversation with Lisa Ash Drackert. Welcome, Lisa. I'm excited to have you back as a guest on the Beyond Yoga Teacher Training Podcast. And just so the listeners know, Lisa is, well, she's a special friend to me and she's been on the podcast before back in season one and she and I shared conversation. So if you haven't haven't listened to that episode, then I'm going to ask you to go back and find that one as well and listen to that. But Today, she and I are going to discuss, you know, a pretty important relationship that yoga teachers have and will have in the setting of being a yoga teacher. And, but first of all, Lisa, I just want to welcome you and see how you're doing today. Thank you. It's really, really exciting to be here and great to speak with you again. So thanks for having me. Yeah. So Lisa and I were chatting before, you know, I hit the record button here. I, I want you to understand this this kind of emphasis that I'm rolling into in a series of conversations and and episodes about relationships. And I speak strongly and I have um, in this season three, I spoke strongly of the roles and for teachers understanding their role as a teacher, what that means, getting clear on that. And I felt like came to me that relationships, understanding relationships that you will be in within this, we want to call it industry or career or this pathway as a yoga teacher. And I've just, it it just revealed to me and in different conversations I've had that this is a relevant topic. And so I'm excited, Lisa, for you to join me today 
Lisa's worn many hats and I'm going to let her kind of <laughs> explain that. But today's focus will really be on this kind of teacher studio owner and we can throw in manager studio manager relationship and kind of what that looks like because Lisa can speak really from an understanding of having been all three and she still is uh, those relationships. So Lisa, let's see, where do we even start with this? Maybe I should just give you a few moments to kind of share where you are now, kind of, and then where you've been, and then we'll roll into this kind of perspective shift between how it's different for yoga teachers from the studio owner. Sure. So like many of us, I started off as a yoga teacher bouncing around from... (laughs) know, 17 different studios um, all over the metropolitan area and have worked in probably every type or setting as a yoga teacher from, um, you know, very traditional Ashtanga studios to community centers, to gyms, to preschools. Mm. Um, Then I was a manager of a yoga studio and an operations director of a different one, which those are actually a little bit different, Mm -hmm. a lead teacher at several yoga studios simultaneously. And now I own my own studio. Okay. That's Um, a lot. (laughs) I guess going. Yeah. Well, it's a long career, right? Hopefully we're all going to be in here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about, so studio owner, let's kind of shift into, well, maybe let me ask you this. What was it that kind of like, how did you know? And when was it that you made that decision? So you supported, obviously, and were a great layer of support for a lot of studios. And then you decided to open your own studio space. So tell us just a little bit about like kind of that transition from being what you said, you know, lead teacher and uh, operations and different things to then stepping into ownership. How was that transition? That transition was empowering because it really was my career goal. And I think that being an entrepreneur, being a business person, being someone who wants to mentor and be in a leadership position for other yoga teachers, I'll just say, you've got to wear a lot of hats. (laughs) (laughs) But owning a studio where I could be more specific about the curriculum that my teachers were teaching And I could really lead with integrity and make decisions about how I wanted my studio to be within the larger metropolitan area and what I wanted my studio to symbolize within the greater Kansas City, Missouri area, Mm -hmm. and how I wanted my teachings to be out there. I think that really was the impetus for, Mm -hmm. you know, buying this yoga studio. So the the story is I was manager for five years and then I bought the studio from the the owner and she and I were um, working together very closely. And by the end of my managing, I was, you know, pretty much running the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So it was really just some, some legal stuff on this side um, to own it. But I will tell you that gave me a very unique perspective because yoga teachers who I had been colleagues with were now working for me Mm. (laughs) and changing those relationships from just friend and colleague to a more, uh, to a relationship that involved slightly more hierarchy um, was also a challenge. Right. You know, the first thing that I really had to do was realize that as a studio owner, there will be many times, there would be many times in my career where I would be lonely and that would be okay. Sometimes there's a little bit of loneliness at the top because I have to now maintain an emotional boundary with the teachers who work for me while also still just longing for, you know, an authentic, vulnerable and honest relationship with each of them. Um, Kind of the same as, you know, I think yoga teachers have to walk the line with vulnerability and authenticity with how close they are with their students. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure that's a common experience that most of us share. Mm-hmm. Well, as you become a leader in this industry, there's just a second layer to that. 
So what would you say, so I'm glad you brought that up, this kind of perspective that differs, you know, from, you, you mentioned entrepreneur, yoga teachers can embody and think of themselves, they are that as well, and been, and then studio owner in a, in a different way also, but thinking about perspective shift, it, and then let me say this, as you were sharing your story, I thought about, you kind of were in an apprenticeship in a way, before you step Mm -hmm. in to the ownership. And then isn't it interesting, like you said, the dynamics of your role shifted and morphed into something that now you had colleagues, right? And peers that now you were in a different kind of role or position to them. So let's talk about like perspective, different perspectives from kind of like just I don't want to say just, but being a yoga teacher in a studio and then the perspective of the owner, where did you see maybe the obstacles of that or where might yoga teachers who are out there supporting yoga studios, how can they understand better? Maybe that perspective of what you you mentioned loneliness and quite honestly, Lisa, you know, I don't know if I've ever thought about that from the studio owner aspect. So talk a little more about the perspective, like how, how is it different from being the yoga teacher and being the yoga studio ownership? Well, as a teacher, I think we're very, and I'm just going to use we, because I consider myself a teacher yeah, first, absolutely. but as, as a teacher, I think we're very interested in honing our craft. And also I would say working to make a lifestyle of being a yoga teacher feasible. So <laughs> You know, my perspective and my opinion is that a rising tide rises all boats. So as the owner, I want any yoga teacher who works for me to be unbelievably successful in the craft and in the trade of teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. And that means I want any workshop they're teaching at any venue to be wildly successful. And I have to be very conscious of not feeling jealous of them teaching at other locations or jealous of other studios in which they give their time and teach their students there, which can be a little tricky sometimes, right? Because (laughs) as the owner, I'm really interested in the financial stability of my business as well and wanting that to succeed. So I know one area of, I think, potential conflict when it comes to studio owners and studio teachers is the idea of a non-compete policy. Mm -hmm. And I have seen, and I have been on the receiving end of quite a bit of conflict as a teacher, when an owner asked me to sign a non-compete policy that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't teach within a five, a five mile radius of their studio. But unfortunately, studios congregate often within the same neighborhoods within cities. Right. Um, Well, you mentioned the one, you know, piece about yoga teachers, you know, honing in on their craft. And then you also mentioned that making the lifestyle of of being a teacher feasible. So I'm glad you brought that up about the non-compete because, you know, that brings up to understanding and teachers trying to figure out how to make that feasible (laughs) when, like you said, there's a congregation of studios and there's inevitably, you know, so many, there's only so many hours in one studio where classes can be run. So teachers trying to make it feasible are looking for other places, you know, possibly to teach, to support themselves financially. So I'm glad you brought that up. Where do you stand now in regards to what are your thoughts about that kind of clause or suggestion to potential teachers coming on? I still don't offer and I still don't support my teacher signing a non-compete policy. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know that that is, it's my opinion. I think many people would disagree with me or owners would disagree with me for various reasons. Mm -hmm. But in the end, this is a professional placement. Mm -hmm. You as a teacher working for me is a job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's a professional environment. And I have to also realize as the owner that I'm the only one who thinks about the studio 24 hours a day. My studio success is actually not my teacher's number one responsibility in their life. Their responsibility is to their own family, to their own craft, to their own integrity, and to their own, of course, mental and physical well-being. 
so I think that that actually that piece of the relationship can be a little bit tricky. I, I have been in you know opportunities of conflict before where the teacher who's maybe a potentially great teacher, but just doesn't have a lot of extra anything to give to my studio. <laughs> a, am I frustrated? Potentially. But B, what are my expectations? Do I require their whole life for their job? Do I require all of their energy? Mm. No, I have to be very, very clear. And I think in writing about this is when I require you to arrive. These are the duties that I require you to do when you're within my space. Here's how you need to close up, finish out. And here's the contract date. I think the piece that is like really missing within a lot of these relationships is clarity and accountability. Mm. Sometimes teachers have been in this role of, you know, this Tuesday night coveted class that they <laughs> think that they earned. Mm. And you know what? On the other end, on the studio end, we might need to make a change to that Tuesday night class. And the relationship between the owner and the teacher can be on rocky ground right? when business decisions need to be made that might take that teacher out of that assignment, right? But if there's clarity and if there's accountability, if it's clear that I'm hiring you from January to December to teach this class, then conversations regarding, you know, the future of that class, I think should be expected, should be clear and should be honest. When you know, there's a very clear expectations on the studio owner part. I think it can save a lot of hurt feelings and save a lot of personal relationship. I mean, just from personally speaking, I'm in a pretty small community. Yoga teacher wise, I like to have a great relationship with every yoga teacher in the city, but that's not going to happen if I just start firing people right and left. Exactly. <laughs> it's also not going to happen if I hire every single teacher who walks through my door even though they don't meet my expectations. And mm -hmm. then I have to remove them from that, that post. Mm -hmm. So to the yoga teacher that has become a yoga studio owner or that's listening or yoga teacher listening, who has that, that dream and vision, as you had mentioned, you did to step into that role at some point. Are there some key, you mentioned a few key points that have helped you to define and, and be very honest about your expectations and clarity. So that is, that is, I guess, the effectiveness of communication that's taking place on the very front end. You know, how have you found success in, in this communication? Maybe, you know, you got the contract. Is there anything else you do or anything in your setting? You said, you mentioned something about, you know, like a, a, there's a season that they're committing to basically, and they're coming in with an, an understanding that the class will be evaluated from a business perspective. Is there anything to share to those listening that are like maybe a yoga studio owner is listening? That's like, ah, I feel like I'm in a situation of not being effective in that way. I think so. I do have kind of a list of do's and don't do's after I've been in this <laughs> business for a while, I think. You know, the first thing that I do is I require any new onboarding teacher to do an on-site interview mm -hmm. and to teach a class where I'm present. I want to be able to say with authenticity, I want to be able to say with honesty when my students are asking, oh, who's teaching on Wednesday? I want to be able to say, oh, Sarah is teaching and she is phenomenal. I want to be able to use supportive words. And I can't do that if I've never been a student in one of your classes. Um, so that's something that I require. And surprisingly, does weed out a lot of applicants right up front. I actually had a, a new-ish teacher who refused to do that. Um, oh, because wow. she had been one of my students for so long and she felt that that was insulting that I would ask her to quote audition and that weeded out that applicant because I thought if you're not willing to do you know the first step of this process of gaining this job mm -hmm. then you're probably also not willing to treat it professionally once you step into this role mm. and I'm glad you're bringing mm. this up because this is really tapping into some points that kind of 
match or are aligning into what I want this kind of series of relationship conversations for teachers to really understand, you know, kind of what you're stepping into what, you know, I, I use the word a lot. And I think about this of being a, a good steward and, and of the space I'm going into to teach and in the way, meaning stewardship at uh, somebody has sacrificed mm -hmm. their finances and their, you know, all these things put it on the line, basically, for me to have a space to go in to teach. And like you're saying, the professionalism, and I think that's a great marker for, and for new teachers or not even just new teachers, any teacher that I'm just going to call it like it is. I think you need to check yourself if you're not willing <laughs> to, mm. to go in like that. So I think that's a good weeding out point. And I, I'm not trying to be snarky about that. And maybe it sounds that way, but I just kind of turn it around instead of somebody getting offended uh, by being asked to do that. There's some other things that need to be evaluated. So, you know, before you, you take on that, that, that position and good for you, you know, for having that first layer. So I just kind of, you know, I just, that came to mind and I'm glad that you, you're bringing that up, Lisa. And were there any, so that's like first step, you know, and then that brings in that sense of that's, you know, tricky with the relationship of somebody you had or prior relationship with <laughs> that makes that challenging, you know, that they move from student to teacher. And then now, you know, for whatever reason it was, they're not, you know, they're feeling offended in that way. So, so what else as far as, I mean, anything to add to that? And then your list of kind of like, let I'd love to hear more, you know, uh, that would be supportive for those that are listening. Sure. So before a new teacher does their interview and their on-site teaching, I share with them my teacher evaluation form. Mm. And this is, you know, a grid. It's a grid of things that I expect to see within my classroom and a column where they did great and a column where I can add notes for improvement. Mm -hmm. And this is a written review that I do for each teacher when they interview. And then I come in and sit and watch a class within the next month. And you know, one, four to six weeks after their start date. So typically we call it a one month review. The teacher and I have another sit down and we go through this same written evaluation form and then talk about their goals and how I can support them moving forward mm -hmm. and what opportunities they want. You know, there are some teachers who are so new, they're thinking, oh man, one class a week is perfect. Thank you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm going to overload them if I just keep saying, hey, you want to teach this class? Do you want to teach, teach this class? And then there are some teachers who tell me in their one month interview, like their goal is in the next year to teach a workshop for the first time. That's a great goal. And if I didn't have that on my radar, I wouldn't be able to support them right. in, you know, supporting that event or hosting that workshop for them. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really important because what I often find, and I found this a lot as a teacher I would find that the owners who, you know, were often my teachers or my mentors would have no idea what I was doing in the classroom for like a year. Mm -hmm. All they would do would, <laughs> you know, they'd see my sign-in sheets and see the number of students who attended and then, you know, give me a quick email or a quick text and say, great class on Tuesday. And I thought, you have no idea if that was oh, a solid wow. class. Yeah. You just know that 33 people came. Mm. Hmm. Good thing I brought my A game. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know. Right. Um, and I felt that that was lonely too on the teacher side because I didn't have anyone at times asking me to pursue excellence or even, mm. you know, helping me find points in my teaching that I could pursue with greater excellence or, you know, supporting the evolution of my teaching. That teacher too, yeah. can be lonely too. Right, exactly. And, and that's what I, yeah, I'm hearing and have really had a lot of conversations. Teachers have rolled out a training and, you know, they're trying to figure out like you're, you're, you're speaking to honing the craft, you know, refining it and what to do with what, you know, they know and, and how important that is to have, you know, that, um, you know, what, and if, 
there's the studio owner isn't offering that, how important to have that in your life of someone to help support you. So it's bonus. It sounds like Lisa, that you already have that incorporated into the support of your teaching staff. Let me ask you this. So we kind of talked about numbers and attendance of classes and you talked about you know, a, a teacher teaching one class and that may be all that they're interested in. How, what is your evaluation process that leads to extending offers for teachers to teach more than one class? Like how, what does that process look like? Um, you know, in my contract that I asked teachers to sign or my kind of policies and guidelines, um, I typically offer if they you know, one pay grade, the same pay grade for the first year that they've been teaching for me, Mm -hmm. right? And then a bonus after the first year. But regarding how many classes they're teaching a week, I don't actually have a set system. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have anything standardized there. And actually, I would be interested in other people (laughs) who (laughs) who do have a standardized setting. Yeah, of a business perspective of looking mm-hmm. at, you know, it's kind of like we don't want to get caught up with the numbers, but, you know, numbers do tell stories and, and sometimes changes have to be made and evaluations. So I just wondered kind of like what your experience or what you feel has been successful in, you know, making those decisions where it could be, hey, I want to, you know, offer another opportunity to a teacher or when you're looking at those attendance numbers, you know, having those hard conversations and that evaluation process that you said that, you know, kind of setting up the expectation that we are going to be evaluating this, you know, how do you feel communicating that? Like, what have you found to be success in that? First of all, I guess they know that that conversation could be coming, but how has that been for you as a studio owner having those conversations? Um, I think the best way, the clarity piece for me comes when I offer a legitimate (laughs) hard paper contract that says, this is your teaching responsibility from January to June of this year. And that's all I'm signing you up for. Just like any other job where an independent contractor is coming in to take over a specific task or to complete a specific project. Mm -hmm. And I think setting that clarity at the beginning of a relationship, that this is the duration of your job. Mm -hmm. When we get towards the end of the job, we'll take a look at your class numbers. We'll take a look and make sure that you're still happy and succeeding as a teacher in this role. Mm-hmm. And I think just knowing that there may be a change on a specific date, it's kind of like you get to the end of fifth grade, mm-hmm. you know, you're moving on. It's okay mm-hmm. to have a summer break. Mm-hmm. I think probably the way that's avoided hurtful or harmful conversations with teachers when we do need to make changes as a studio, because that's not personal. The job right. is done. The project is complete. Thank you so much. Here's a second project for you to do. Are you interested? Mm -hmm. Or let's take a little break and see what comes up next spring. Yeah. So typically I've always had my classes in my studio run for like four month terms. Mm -hmm. That way we can make a change to the group class schedule at the beginning of the year in January, during the summer, and then into the fall and winter. Mm -hmm. And if all persons on board, students, teachers, and management know that these are the term dates, just like school terms, Mm -hmm. then there are no emotions, (laughs) which are, I'm sure there are emotions, but at least there's not hurt personal feelings. Right. Because, you know, an expectation, uh, you know, I just want to keep highlighting that effectiveness of communicating. And like you've, you've mentioned that clarity, So let me ask you this, Lisa, what do you feel is what stands out as being key for for yoga teachers to understand as they are in a relationship with the owner of the studio? Like, what are some key, like, you know, I, I just feel like there may be some missing points out here for teachers that are listening of really understanding kind of their responsibility and their relationship with the studio owner. Is there anything key that stands out? There is. I think, you know, potentially two key points really are the two key points are, you know, priorities Mm. as a teacher and a studio owner, be aware that your personal priorities for this yoga studio are probably not the same. You know, the studio's uh, manager or the owner's priority 
really is longevity and financial stability in the long term. Mm-hmm. Because as the owner, of course, I really have everything on the line, not only my professional integrity and my name, but also the financial stability of me, my career, my family. Mm-hmm. Um, which means my priority is probably not you as a teacher going to India for three months to get better at yoga. <laughs> but as a yoga teacher, wouldn't that be an incredible opportunity? Wouldn't that be a priority to, you know, enhance my yoga teaching by going to the core and the mother, the motherland of yoga? Right. Okay. Yeah, maybe. But as a studio owner, that's not my priority. Mm-hmm. And there can be a definite dissonance or disconnect there, Mm -hmm. which again comes back to, I think, clarity of my expectations as the owner. Here are how many classes you're allowed to miss or ask for a sub within a specific Mm -hmm. timeframe. If that's not available, if that's not a, you know, if this job isn't a priority for you and you miss this many classes, just like any other job, there's an attendance issue. Mm -hmm. We may have to end your contract early. Even if you're just missing these classes to go do more yoga or to go lead a yoga retreat or to just not be here and go into the woods and do the yoga. I mean, Sandy, I've seen it all. (laughs) And their response is, but I'm doing the yoga. (laughs) I understand. But in a leadership position, I need the people who work for me to be accountable and to be present and to be Mm. professional when they are. And so sometimes those key priorities, I think, can... um, at times, of course, be aligned and at times come into conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so priorities would be the first thing that's missing. And then I think loyalty and relationship, the relationship, the personal relationship or interpersonal relationship, I should say. I do often see or hear, you know, yoga teachers who are like thinking, gosh, that studio owner owes me this class. I've been here for four years. Mm-hmm. They owe me more opportunities. It's not true. (laughs) I just sometimes think that it is often missed that this is a profession and this is a professional environment, even though we get to do all the yoga talk (laughs) and to have all the love, I mean, have all the love and, you know, be vulnerable with each other and support each other emotionally as, you know, people who love yoga. um, This is a profession and it Mm -hmm. needs to be treated as a professional relationship um well let's you know we don't owe you anything exactly (laughs) and I want to camp out there just a little bit because that I think is a missing piece um in the relationship and I also sometimes in have encountered teachers who want and now your structure of your studio because you mentioned early on about the curriculum and that and that's really what we discussed in the first episode so that's why yoga teachers and and everybody listening go back and and listen to that episode because you have a defined curriculum and and it helps to support that expectation and that understanding of what teachers are you know, committing to. And so, but what about those studios who don't quite have that structure? And here's, here's where I'm getting with all this is I've encountered some teachers that are like, it's kind of like the ownership they take of the class. And it's not that I don't want you to, I want you to own it with responsibility, but you know, at the end of the day, it's not your class (laughs) and they take it and they get a little, uh, I don't know really what the state of being is, could be a combination of things, but it's kind of like they don't want to teach unless it's at, <clears throat> it's this style, it's this, it's that. They have all these laundry list of things that's what they want. So I think part of this relationship piece of what I'm trying to understand is, you know, and it's one thing if you're the entrepreneur out there independently working, doing your own thing, then do your own thing. <laughs> But I'm Mm -hmm. talking, you know, we're talking about teachers that are coming in to support a space, to support a studio and the ownership and leadership there. But what about, you know, this idea of coming in like they they want it to be what they want? You know, have you encountered that? Because I don't know if you have since you've really structured yours different that I've had as of recently in the past year or so, you know, encounters with teachers in studios that I think are missing the big picture piece of the layer support, 
I really think they should be embodying for the studio. They want it to be about them. So maybe it's just selfish, Lisa. Maybe that's the word. (laughs) They're just selfish about Mm. it. (laughs) And as a new owner, initially my stomach dropped and I thought, I've already done something wrong. I've already misstepped. And then I took a beat and I sat back and I thought, yes, I'm keeping Monday noon yin yoga on the schedule because that class has flourished over the past few years. This is the job I'm offering. This is the contract I'm offering. These are the terms I'm offering. This is the pay I'm offering. (laughs) This is the job that's out there. Would you like to apply for it? And when I think about it in those terms, it seems very obvious that a, an applicant could simply say yes or no. And we think about that in different terms. If I were to apply at, you know, my husband's engineering firm for an engineering job, I wouldn't say, does it have to be engineering? (laughs) Yeah. That's not a professional response and it's not a respectful response. Right. And I guess that's where I think when that response comes, that there's a lack of understanding Gosh, you know, and I don't know why I'm struggling to kind of figure out how to put it together, but it's like a lack of understanding of there has been a lot placed into, number one, having the space available for you to come in and teach or have the opportunity to come in and teach. There's a lot of thought, I want to say for the most part, with studio owners into the schedule. And a lot of thought, a lot. And I have been a part of, you know, supporting studios and, and, and putting together schedules and it's, it's thoughtfully considered and there's all these factors and that I just feel like to me, part of the missing piece and what I really want yoga teachers listening to hone into, I believe, and you, you helped me on this, that would contribute and support a studio owner is that like you said, when you're at, it's, you know, it's either yes or no. And it's not like, there's a little bit of like kind of feedback is okay. Or like interest coming from teachers as to, you know, I don't know if it's what they would like to see on the schedule or what, but I just think there's sometimes a missing piece of understanding of all the thoughtfulness that's gone into the structure. And at the end of the day, it's not about what you like or dislike. It's like kind of like, can you support the space, right? And, you, you know, you're being offered a position. And like you said, it's clearly yes or it's no. <laughs> it's like, we're not going to change it all to suit the needs, right? We're, we're looking at the bigger picture of this has been designed to support the big picture of the community we're trying to serve, I guess, is where I'm really going with that. I think the nicest way, I think the most beneficial way of looking at that is looking at each studio as an organization Mm -hmm. and all persons are valued and yet the responsibilities of each person are not equal. The weights of responsibilities of each person Mm -hmm. in that organization are not equal. The organization as a whole you know, needs to respect the input of all persons, students, teachers, and management team. And yet there needs to be an understanding that at the end of the day, the leadership team gets to make the decision for the benefit of the organization. And that's mm-hmm. okay. We do want our teachers to be, I think, emotionally invested in the health and well-being of our students and emotionally invested in keeping you know, the morale of the yoga community up. And yet when it comes to organizational decisions, it, I think emotion needs to be set aside at times to make the decision that's best for the majority within this organization. Mm-hmm. And when that can't be done, it's okay to make a decision that's the best for the owner. Mm-hmm. I had a really interesting experience letting, letting go of a teacher once that, um, really shook me to my core because the comment he said made me feel very ashamed of myself for a while. Mm. Um, I was letting this person go for a a myriad of reasons, but mostly because he wasn't teaching how or what I asked him to teach, (laughs) Um, (laughs) was often late and like never, never came to work fed. I don't Mm. understand. He just wouldn't eat. And then he'd like lay on the ground here and be like, it's, I'm so tired. And I thought, "Hmm, (laughs) you're not going to show up the best for my students. Right. Mm -hmm. 
going back to what I originally said at, you know, at the end of the conversation, I said, you know, I'm not sure if this was the way you expected your day to go. So I'm happy to pay you for the class that you would have taught today, but I'll be teaching your class today. Mm. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you're happy. That's what it's all about. Making you happy. Mm. And I felt very ashamed. It was very embarrassing. I felt like I had overstepped and done something very wrong. And then, you know, as I worked through those emotions, I thought, hmm, as a sole business owner, at the end of the day, is it okay to make decisions for the benefit of my organization that also lead to my greater happiness? I think it is okay. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I would want all yoga teachers because each yoga teacher is their own individual business. Mm -hmm. I would want them to think the same thing, that they have the right to make a valuable, you know, honest decision that makes them at the end of the day, happy mm -hmm. and whole and helps their business grow, you know, and of course, in a way that's we all want these decisions to be beneficial and positive. <laughs> um, so I think it's just interesting. You know, we want our communities to thrive. And sometimes at the end of the day, that means the leadership needs to make a decision that emotionally for them leads to greater thriving. Yeah. Because that's just going to be passed down, right? Like if I'm happy, everyone who comes <laughs> into my space is going to feel that. Absolutely. There's an energetic, uh, you know, component there that's going to, like you said, it's going to trickle out and thread out into all those different roles you said um, that are found within that organization. And, and um, it's okay for a teacher to disagree with me. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. okay for a teacher to disagree with me. Teachers are going to disagree with the leadership and mm -hmm. yet the decision can still be firm. Right. And it's okay too, if, you know, the, the structure you've put in place and the expectations for the ones who, you know, I'll go back to the one who, you know, I hate she was offended by it. Um, but you know, that it's not the fit or it's not whatever it is. It's okay that there, you don't go any further there, you know, at least you were clear and uh, there wasn't a coming in and then, you know, caught off guard by, you know, accountability that they didn't know because that in that way turns that relationship in a whole different way that could have been avoided uh, if it was honest and upfront to begin with. You know, for yoga teachers listening, you know, you're, you're not going to fit into every space and there's going to be probably some things that, if, you know, it's not something you can uh, step into with that responsibility and professionalism and take it on, then you just don't accept the position. <laughs> um, even though, you know, there can be eagerness out there. I know, especially with new teachers, probably in particular, looking for positions and, and places to teach. So Lisa, how I, do you feel yoga teachers can better support studio owners? Wrap up with that, like better support. What's this kind of, we've talked about a few key points, but is there anything that comes to mind or anything you want to add in this understanding of this relationship that best serves teachers listening in this understanding and how might they better support uh, yoga studio owners? The first thing that comes to mind is simply ask. How, how can I support you? What do you need from me today? I have a, um, now she's a, just a very good friend, but a teacher, her name's Sam, who used to work for me and, and has worked for me at several different studios. And she always asked mm. at the beginning or at the end of every shift when she was in here, she asked, Lisa, what do you need from me? How can I help? And so many times, all I wanted was like a hug and a smile and to tell her your classes are incredible. Thank you for preparing. Thank you for being here. And then there were other times where I was like, thank God someone asked. Right. Actually, yes. Could you please make sure that you vacuum the studio and I instead will clean the bathroom today? Thank you so much for asking. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Simply asking and not asking for specific things. <laughs> 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 but just asking, how can I help? What can I do to support you is huge. And especially if you haven't seen the owner in a while, 
that usually Mm -hmm. means they are overwhelmed. So send them an email, drop them a text. And I'm definitely a words of affirmation person. So this is just maybe helpful for me, but something that I love is when my teachers who work for me send me an email or a text with a with something positive that a student said. Mm. I love hearing that. I love hearing, oh, Elaine said her knee felt so much better after your class on Monday. I think she really loved coming to my more gentle class today. You know, or, you know, oh, this new woman, Marianne, came into my Wednesday night class. I'm sorry you weren't there to meet her. She said your your studio is beautiful. She mm. can't wait to meet you. You know, anything like that, that I, where I know the teachers are really connecting with the people that I'm here to serve mm-hmm. can make my day so much better. Because right. as we mentioned, when the leadership gets lonely, you know, it can be easy to become disconnected from the reason we became yoga teachers. Because guess what? It wasn't to do spreadsheets and to spend my time talking to my (laughs) marketing team because the power of the practice changes lives and heals communities. And if I'm not seeing that on a daily basis, it it can feel a little overwhelming. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So I'd asked about, you know, the yoga teachers, how they, you know, might better support. Let, Let me just ask you this, you know, to the studio owners out there listening you know, what's coming to mind of something you would like to speak into them, you know, before we wrap up? I would say be honest and intentional about how you communicate with your teachers. Let them know through your communication that you care about them as a person. Ask them a question. I remember um, one studio owner I worked for who I, I didn't have a great relationship with him because he bought it probably after I'd been working there for like five or six years, this new owner bought it. And so I just didn't have a relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I worked for him for two years. He never once asked how I was. He never said, how are you? We had several meetings. I was a lead teacher and all he did was <laughs> take classes away from me. Mm. <laughs> he never once said, how are you? Yeah. So I think it's really important that as owners, we invest you know, not, we're not someone's therapist, but we, we care. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and our teachers just... need to know that we care. Yeah. Um, and then just be honest and intentional about talking to them about their teaching and their classes. No mm-hmm. one wants to go a whole year teaching at 6am on a Monday and then realize they weren't supposed to be teaching sunrise yoga. They were supposed to be teaching gentle yoga or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like I think teachers, I think teachers really want to do their best. Mm-hmm. And if we're not honest and intentional about communicating with teachers, you know, monthly, weekly, mm-hmm. in writing, in text, in email, in person, in all of the ways, um, you know, it can really harm a relationship or just undermine our confidence as owners and their abilities. So Lisa, thank you for joining me today for, you know, this discussion. And and I hope that, you know, the listeners are hearing some could be different ways to look at their relationship and teachers looking to the relationship of the studio owner. You know, before we, we, you know, I'd love to give you just, you know, a couple moments to to share what you're up to and, you know, how your studio is doing, how you've had some transitions and, I think, you know, a lot of yoga studios right now, there were things going on pre-COVID and then there's things that now, you know, a lot of adjusting and adaptations taking place. And so I just want to give you a few moments to share kind of what you're up to and, and the listener to hear there may be somebody listening that, you know, would love to connect with you and, and see what you're up to. And so I just wanted to give you a few moments to share about that. I actually renamed and rebranded my entire yoga studio last year. So my focus is completely on personal yoga therapeutics, Mm -hmm. meeting with clients in the, in the capacity of a yoga medicine therapeutic specialist. And then our, my studio schedule is now extremely small. I went from, you know, managing a a team of 12 with 21 classes on the week to managing a team of two and seven classes a week total, Wow! just to take down my management responsibilities. But Also, now I've added prenatal classes and prenatal yoga therapeutics and uh, yoga for fertility as a a specialty. It was difficult. I, it was emotionally difficult because 
I really liked mentoring other yoga teachers and I really enjoyed my role as a, a leader of this mm-hmm. large organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just wasn't feasible anymore that that management style or that management job just wasn't feasible anymore with a toddler and very spotty <laughs> daycare due to the COVID. Right. So I'm thrilled. Um, my space is now primarily available for rent. Mm. So I've cultivated relationships with yoga teachers who have different specialties than I do. And they bring their own students or their own private clients. So small groups of four or mm-hmm. less, two days a week in time blocks as they need to meet with their clients. They just rent my space, use everything that's here, provide a sacred healing space for their students. And uh, just for a rental fee. So I don't right. do any managing of their students. I don't do any managing of those teachers, simply supporting them and offering their classes and their services. Mm-hmm. And that's nice. going really well. Those relationships are very easy to maintain because it's very cut and dry. Right. <laughs> Here's well, the rental agreement. Yeah. Have a great time. <laughs> Thank you for teaching. Right. Exactly. But, you know, great for you to share that because I would want the listeners to hear to, you know, this ability that we can cultivate to, to adapt and to adjust and, and shift and change as we feel called and led to do that and that things don't have to be done a certain way all the time. And there may not be, and once we, you know, realize there, there needs to be a willingness that things change and understand that, you know, we'll have to make some changes like that. So I'm so glad to hear of the success that the growing pains of the hardness of the transition, you know, that's to birth this new space that you're in and this new um, way of, of continuing what you've always been doing and serving and sharing to the community. So that's awesome to hear. And Lisa, I am so appreciative for you joining me today. And it's been great to, to talk to you and just excited to, to see all of what you continue to be about and contribute. And thank you so much for sharing your insight today with me and the listeners. Are you seeking additional resources that will support your personal yoga practice as well as your development and refinement as a yoga teacher? Well, head over to my website, sandyraper.com, and there you will find many resources waiting and available to support you. Also, find me on Instagram, sandyraperyoga, and I'll look forward to connecting with you there. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Until we meet again, remember to begin, to become, and to expand beyond.